the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David seeks God's direction and then he and his men go after the Amalekite raiders to rescue their families. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 7. The title of the message is, A Recovered Heart. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. When we left David in chapter 6, things were about as bad as they could get. David's city is burned to the ground and everyone he loves is captured. And because of their own losses, David's men are, are talking about stoning them. This is your fault, David. You led us astray and this mess is because of you. But we saw that when David hit hit rock bottom, he began his journey out of that dead end by turning back to the Lord. And so as David continues to repent and seek the Lord, a heart that was about to be extinguished finds recovery. So 1 Samuel 30, we begin in verse 7. It says, and David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray you bring me hither the ephod. And so Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David and David inquired at the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, the Lord answered him saying, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Remember the Amalekites had come while David was up marching with the Philistines to go fight against his own people. And the Amalekites had come during that time. They invaded Ziglag among many other areas, burned Ziglag to the ground and took all the the families that were staying behind, took them captive. And so when David and his men, you know, are sent away from the battlefield because the other Philistine lords don't trust him, that this is what they find. And so when David encouraged himself in the Lord, when the men are talking about stoning him, he encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. And immediately verse seven, he says to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech, son, I pray you, bring me hither the ephod. The, the phrase I, I pray, it means please. In other words, things are bad and time is of the essence. I, I prefer not to be on the end of a, a bunch of rocks. And so <clears throat> he says, bring me the ephod. Now, I want to ask God a question. Now, the ephod was the high priest's, uh, one of his garments that he would wear. And inside were these, 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 this like fold. Like if you ever have one of those, you know, um, like uh, coats or whatever, and it's got like the middle place for your hands, and it'll keep them warm. It kind of had these big pockets, and inside were something called the Urim and the Thummim. We don't know exactly what they were, 
But through that, the high priest could ask God questions and get answers. So he's saying, I I, want to ask God a question. Bring the ephod. You know, I love this because David doesn't just presume that he can fix things any way he wants. He goes to the high priest as God commanded in the law to find out what the Lord wanted him to do. And you know, what a contrast with Saul when things got as bad as they could get. When things got as bad as they could get for Saul, he gave up when he got desperate and he turned to a medium instead of repenting and turning to the Lord. David here, he doesn't just turn back to the Lord. He does things God's way. He turns to God's ordained method of communicating with his people. David, as he's returning to the Lord, he's repenting. He's not going to walk his own way anymore. Obedience is always going to be the byproduct of a heart that's turning back to God. Now notice I didn't say perfection is going to be the byproduct. I said obedience is going to be the byproduct. Obedience doesn't mean perfection, even though perfection is God's standard, right? Obedience is a resolution to do things the way God commands in his word. It means that we set out to do what God says. And so David, verse 8, inquired of the Lord. And he asked the question, shall I pursue this troop, this raiding party that has captured our families? And shall I overtake them? In other words, you know, will I, uh, this second part, we're not sure what David's saying. David could either be asking the phrase overtake means shall I catch up to them? So David could be asking if, if I leave, will I be able to catch them? You know, is this a, is this a, a, you know, a mission that has no hope of success? You know, or he could be saying, Lord, do you want me to go catch them? Uh, but either question that David's asking, whichever one it is, it shows a deep commitment uh, to doing things God's way. Because I can't imagine any normal person not trying to rescue their family, even when you think your chances of success are small. You know, I'm, I'm sure David wasn't probably thinking, ah, you know, the, the football game's on in an hour. You know, Lord, can we catch him? Oh, I guess not, you know. I can't imagine that's David's thought process here. Surely, I mean, if there is any hope at all, he's going he's gonna to go. So, so whatever the question he's asking, the idea is he's saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's your will in this situation? What do you say? You know, David, who has been leaning on his own understanding for quite some time, is trying to stay as far away from that as possible now. He doesn't want to do that anymore, even though every instinct has to be screaming, go get your families back, right? And yet he wants to do it God's way. And so he asked the Lord and the Lord answered him, pursue, which is in the imperative in the Hebrew, which means you, you got to go, man. You must set off. You must chase them down. This is interesting because this isn't God's permission. David isn't saying, Lord, can I go chase them? And God goes, sure. No, no, no. This is God's command. This is God's will for David and his men. And it came with a beautifully undeserved promise. For you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. The word recover means to save them from danger. You shall overtake and you shall recover, save them from danger. Both the words overtake and recover are doubled in the Hebrew, which means it's an emphasis. It's why the King James writes it, surely overtake them and without fail recover all. It's just, you, you know, you shall overtake, overtake them and you shall recover, recover all. That's what the Hebrew says. And the idea is God's making it sure you will absolutely catch up with them and you will completely rescue them all from danger. Now, after what David and his men have done for the last 16 months, did they deserve such an awesome promise from God? No. This is grace through and through. 
But grace is the only path to recovery. It's the only path to recovery. Sin and its consequences can't be overcome or healed by earning my way back to God's blessings. It doesn't work that way. Doing things my own way and in my own strength is what sent me to rock bottom in the first place. There are no resources in myself. Paul the Apostle found the the same problem when he tried to do things his way. In Romans 7, verse 18, Paul, when describing his frustrations with himself, he says here in Romans 7, 18, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. I don't have any resources. There's not even small resources to pull from. I can't even do small things, you know? He, He didn't say, well, there's only a few good things, you know? You know, so I can do marriage on my own, or I, I can do, you know, child rearing on my own, or I can do, you know, being a Christian in the work environment on my own. No, he said, in me, in my flesh, that is, there dwells no good thing. For to will, the desires present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I can't find it. I searched, it's just not there. No resources here. And so Paul in Romans seven twenty one, he says, I find then a law, a rule, a principle, That when I want to do good, evil is present with me. Isn't that the problem? I want to do good, but evil is still present with me. You see, recovery is a supernatural thing. It's a work of grace. The enemy, when when we're, we're trying to turn back to the Lord, we're trying to start doing things God's way, you know, what does he begin to say? Oh, well, God can't work in your life. You know, this has happened and this has happened. And so he can't bless you now, right? That that's his tactic. And so then when we get back on this works treadmill, we're going, okay, well, I need God to bless me. So I got to get it right. And we start huffing and puffing and then we land on our face again. Because the whole reason we were in that spot was because we were trying to do it on our own. Recovery doesn't work that way. It's a supernatural thing. It's a work of grace. And our God is eager to do it in us if we'll humble ourselves and, and we'll receive that grace. And so thankfully, David does. He says, okay, God will go. So verse nine, David went. I love that. (laughs) David didn't know where his loved ones were, but they had the marching orders to go. And so he did. They just went. And you know, when you're confronted with unknowns in life, find clear and easy commands from God to follow and then set out to do them. When, When I feel that overwhelming thing of, I don't know what to do, It is time to dial back to simplicity. Just get as simple as possible. What do I know? All right, well, I know today God wants me to love my wife. I know today God wants me to love my kids and invest into their lives. I know I've got a job to go to. I need to be there at a certain time. I I need to get in the word because I've got a few meetings with people and they don't need more of me, especially today. They need Jesus. I'm gonna read my Bible. You just make it simple. You say, but what about this big thing over here? Don't know yet, so I'm not, I'm, it's going to stay right there. Because the God who has good intentions towards me, he'll make his plan known when it's time to go. Right now, I'm going to rest on what I know to be absolutely true. I know he loves me. I know he'll provide for my needs. I know he says that if I lack wisdom and ask, he'll give it to me. I've already asked, so now it's time to wait. There's no use stressing on that or trying to figure out all the things that we can't know. When you are confronted with unknowns in life, find clear and easy commands from God to follow and then set out to do them. So that's what David did. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and they came to the brook Besor where those that were left behind stayed. We're going to 
find out in a second, what do you mean left behind? But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 men abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. Besor is a wadi about 15 miles south of Ziklag. So, I mean, they've already been marching for a bit when this new crisis kind of comes up. The word there for faint means to be in an extreme state of exhaustion. Um, when I uh, had my, my uh, health problems a couple of years ago, one of the things my doctor said is, well, it, what happens is your body gets, it gets stuck in the spot. And so you need to kind of have a, a spike, a big rush of just, you know, you need to burst, slow bursts of exercise, uh, quick bursts of exercise. And so, you know, I hadn't exercised in how many years, you know? And so I got, I'm okay, I'm going to do that, you know? And, and the first couple of days I'd come home and I'd feel like I was just, I was done, you know? Or I would get to the last leg of the, I'd walk for a bit and then I'd sprint for a bit and then I'd walk for a bit and I'd get to the last leg and I would be like, man, the world's spinning. <laughs> when you get to this place where you've, you've overdone it, where you, you didn't pace yourself correctly, or it's just, you've gone so far that the energy's gone, you know, you get to this place where, you know, you get the lightheadedness, there's no energy and you, you start to falter. And so David's men, if you remember, they have already marched all the way north to fight with the Philistines, only to have to leave at the crack of dawn to march all the way back. And then when you add in that they were weeping until they had no strength left to cry when they returned to their torched homes, some of these guys are just done. There's no more gas in the tank. And so lest we become critical of those who stayed behind as not caring as much about their families as other men, we need to recognize that's not the case here. Exhausted men means that the rest of the force has to move at the pace of the exhausted men. And so this wasn't their decision to stay behind. The the Bible says they were left behind. We will learn in verse 24 that David and his men left them with a ton of of the supplies because that was also slowing them down. So David made a tactical decision to leave them behind so they would not be slowed down in this pursuit. Well, being able to regain their pace again, they finally catch their first sign of where the Amalekites had headed. Look at verse 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field and they brought him to David and gave him bread and he did eat and they made him drink water and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. So this guy, when they found him, the word here field just means the open country. I mean, remember they're kind of in desert territory. So after they leave the wadi, they come out into just the open plateau that's there and, and they find this guy. He's, he's half dead or mostly dead. And uh, those of you who've seen The Princess Bride will understand that. And I know why you're chuckling was not intentional. So mostly dead, which means he's partially alive. And they found an Egyptian in the field. They bring him to David because they had to bring him because he's in bad shape. He couldn't walk. And, and they feed him, you know, they, they give him some food. And then his spirit came again, which means he came to himself again. It's not that he was unconscious. He wasn't cognizant. He was so delirious because of his condition, couldn't communicate. And so once he gets to a place where he's, okay, he's himself again, he can communicate. David says to him, verse 13, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites and the, upon the coast which belongs to Judah and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. 
So David knows he struck gold here. This guy explains that his master abandoned him because he was sick. The word here, it's not a term that means he was deathly sick. It just means he wasn't feeling good and he was weak or faint. So why would his master abandon his property over something so small? Well, they couldn't afford to slow down either. They just invaded. The word there, invade, means to raid for the purpose of plunder. They weren't trying to defeat anyone, you know, permanently. They're just trying to take stuff. These are these quick lightning raids, and then you you leave with all the stuff and the plunder. And so they had invaded all these regions in the, the south, the Negev, the desert lands in the south of Israel, and, uh, and, and it was a hit and run. And so since this guy couldn't run, they left him behind. Now, the Amalekites hated Israel with a passion. They were Israel's permanent enemy. God said, I don't want you ever making a treaty with the Amalekites because they will never treat you fairly or right or correctly. They were under God's ban. They were to be exterminated. And so the Amalekites, they just hated Israel with a passion. And so when we look at these targets, these different places that are mentioned here, that the Egyptian slaves said that they hit, these are all Israeli cities uh, with one exception. And of course, Ziglag was an, a city full of Israelites too. And you know, that's very interesting because it shows you that you can run away from your problems, but the real enemy is going to be anywhere you go. Because the real enemy is your flesh. You can run away from your problems, but the real enemy is going to be wherever you go, your flesh. In Galatians 5.17, it makes that powerful statement to us about this war that goes on inside of us. It says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means the flesh craves, desires things that are against or opposed, opposite to what the Holy Spirit desires for us. And the spirit against the flesh, the spirit desires and craves things that's opposite and opposed to what our flesh craves. And so Paul says, these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you want. Remember the problem Paul described? Here's the reason. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me saying, hey, obey the Lord, do what the Lord says. My flesh is going, no, do this. And so we've got this tug of war going on inside of us. And so it doesn't matter where I go. If I change my circumstances, the flesh is still there. So the, the flesh isn't going to look at a change of surrounding and say, bummer, I can't work with this. I guess I'm done. I guess I'm defeated. You moved from here to Florida. Oh, well. No, I mean, it's still there with you. Now, in the Bible, the Amalekites are always a picture of our flesh. Because my flesh hates the things of God. It's constantly at war with God's ways. And because of that, it will find me out no matter where I go. So the only safe place for me is in the will of God, doing things God's way. In Galatians 5.18, that's exactly what it tells us. What do you do with this conundrum where you, you can't do the things that you want? Because you got this war going on. It says, but if you be led by the Spirit or of the Spirit, you are not under that law, that, that principle. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, doing things God's way, I can overcome the flesh. I can triumph over it. I can bypass it, kind of like the law of gravity can be bypassed by Bernoulli's principle. It's not that gravity's not there anymore, but you can overcome it. And that's what we can do by the Holy Spirit. We can soar. Now, when David hears this from the Egyptian slave, he knows he's on the right track. These are the guys, he he knows he was with the guys who, who took our families. 
And so David, in verse 15, he asks him to lead them to the Amalekites. He says, David said to him, can you bring me down to this company? Can you bring me down to this raiding party? And the Egyptian slave, he's, he's had enough. <laughs> he says, swear unto me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I'll, I'll bring you down wherever you want to go. I'll bring you down to this company, but swear to me that you're not going to send me back where I was and you're not going to kill me. The Amalekites were a nomadic group. They were always on the move, but they couldn't be on the move permanently. They had to stop it and have some kind of basis here and there where they'd live for a bit before they moved on again. And so we don't see David's oath, but we know he makes it because in verse 16, the Egyptian kid is taking him down. Verse 16, and when he had brought him down, when he, the Egyptian slave, brought David down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. David, when he finally finds these guys, he says, behold, check this out. (laughs) They're partying. They thought they'd never see their loved ones again, but he goes, here they are. These guys are, and they're not even looking for a fight. They're partying. They're thinking everything's fine. So even though there's only 600 of us or 400 of us, we can take them. And you know, if you travel to Israel today, when it talks about them being spread abroad, you can still see these Bedouin cities today. They spread out their belongings in the deserted areas, not the populated areas, because if the, the idea is if they're on the move, you never have to pay taxes because you don't have an address to send, send the tax payment to. So they're constantly on the move. And so they spread out their belongings in these deserted areas. They'll live there for a little while and then they move on. So this is what he's seeing over here. They're just all spread out. I can't imagine it was easy seeing these folks throwing a party, knowing your loved ones are all down there. So David doesn't waste any time in attacking. Verse 17, and David smote them from the twilight even until the evening of the next day. David attacked just before darkness hit in twilight. That's not the ideal time for a battle. But this wasn't a fight about tactics. This was about rescuing their families before they could be sold as slaves or worse. And so David attacked right there in the twilight. They fight all the way through the night, all the way unto the evening of the next day. And David and his men are victorious. It says there escaped not a man of them except for 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. Now that there are 400 guys that got away means there was a lot more who were were killed in the battle because David only had 400 men. David's outnumbered here. This is not an easy fight. This is not something that David just rushes in, you know, and it's all, you know, the Amalekites just die and then, yeah, we got our families back. No, this is a long protracted battle through the night, all through the day. They're already exhausted. While they were victorious, it was not easy. The Amalekites fought hard to hold on to their plunder. Let me tell you, your flesh will fight hard to hold on to the habits you have, the ways of thinking you have. And the Amalekites held out for an entire day. But when David's men finally turned the tide, a small group fled, which means they left everything behind. Verse 18. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they, the Amalekites, drove before those other cattle. In other words, before the cattle they had stolen from David's men and his families, they had stuff of their own. 
And so David took that too, and he said, this is David's spoil. We'll learn the significance of that later. But everyone was safe. Everyone was out of danger against all hope. Just as God promised to David, just as God told David, everything was recovered. You know, sometimes God's promises seem impossible to us. But God never fails. His promises never fail. And there were many occasions in David's life where God did what seemed impossible. In Psalm 9, David says, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. It's the idea that it was a full dedication. David wasn't praising the Lord with 75% of his heart and the other 25% was cursing the Lord and going, yeah, I don't, I don't think you, you got the right idea here. David, when he says, I'm going to praise you, with, O Lord, with my whole heart, the idea is, Lord, I'm, I'm all in. David had learned by this point in his life that running to the Lord to seek him about what to do, to do things his way, to trust in him because he knew God's character was trustworthy, his name. He knew that was the safe place to be. And so even though sometimes God's promises seem impossible to us, he never fails. He knew that God would come through for him. And the cool part is sometimes when we trust him, God exceeds what he promises to do just because he's that good. Just because he's that good. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.